Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest is American Hoddle. This is going to be um, a great one. I think it's going to surprise many people, to be honest with you. Uh, apologies, first up. Um, I really struggled throughout the interview with uh, a bad voice. Um, I was really suffering with some hay fever uh, on that specific day. Hasn't fully cleared up, but uh, a little better now. Um, so yeah, I, my voice definitely, you know, it, it, it peaks and troughs. So stick with it. Um, we get deep into it. Uh, you know, I, I won't spoil it. He's, uh, he's a real great character on Twitter and um, a, a real asset to the whole space. So I hope you really enjoy it. Um, before we get into the show, quick shout out, coinfloor.co.uk. If you're based in the UK, if you're a UK expat, if you have access to the UK banking system, this is easily the, the safest way to start your, your journey into Bitcoin. So go check them out. Um, I've got a, uh, an affiliate link. You just use coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and you're good to go. Really appreciate uh, anybody um, listening to the show. And thanks again to everybody that, um, you know, takes time to share and retweet and reach out on Twitter. Enjoy this one. Thank you, guys. Uh, well, welcoming to today's show is, <clears throat> and excuse the voice, listeners, but the show must go on, <clears throat> is American Hoddle. And uh, I wasn't going to miss this one for anything. So, <clears throat> American Hoddle, welcome to the show. It's very good to be here. I hope you feel better soon. <laughs> it's fine. It's just a hay fever voice related thing. Um, <laughs> I do have Lauren here to ask the first question. So that would give me time to take a sip of beer and a little bit of uh, honey lemon. <laughs> Why do you um, get rejected from uh, Twitter? Oh, okay. Well, you know, Lauren, this is a complex issue to explain to somebody who's your age, but there are some approved manners in which you can think and some disapproved manners in which you can think in today's society. And uh, <laughs> I happen to speak often in the disapproved manner, and I often get banned for that because we live in sort of an Orwellian dictatorship. I know that doesn't make sense if you're 11 or whatever, but basically there are some people who are trying to stop me, and I can't be stopped. That's what I'm telling you. Sound good? So you can't be... You can't... Stop. It's because I it's because I use bad words. That's pretty much I use bad words a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you I thought you were strong enough to fight back. Like I can do whatever I want. You're gonna tell me what to do. No, I'm I'm just naughty and they keep putting me in the in the timeout chair. That's what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Um let's see. How old are you children? <laughs> uh my my ch my children are both under two years old. Oh, okay. We we have two under two. Do you think he swears to his children? Like I swear to mine. Um, no, I don't <laughs> think don't. so. <laughs> okay. I, I keep it pretty. I keep it pretty PG. Yeah, pretty PG around the kids. Not on Twitter though. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Exactly. Don't worry. You'll <laughs> you'll get there. All right. Do you want to say goodnight? Goodnight. Thanks. Have a great. Goodnight. Bye, Lauren. Bye, Daddy. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's cute. All right, man. Um, thank you. Um, 
So what was the latest, like, you know, at time of recording, you've only just been back on Twitter for like the last two days, right? Yeah. What happened? Um, <laughs> did we get to see I what was, you get kicked off for? Or did I just... I, well, I was caught. Yeah, you do get to... Sometimes you do get to see what you get kicked off. When you get a suspension, you get to see when you get a permanent ban. I've done this enough times that I can now tell you how, how the process goes. But um, yeah, when you get a suspension, they'll tell you what you were suspended for because, you know... It's kind of it's this theory that like they're trying to modify my behavior basically, but I refuse to be modified. This is why I keep getting banned. Um, I was I was calling for the death of American politicians is the reason I got banned. But I think if you read the the U.S. Constitution, that I have a strong case for treason across the board, and that people do need to have some heads put on put on spikes because what we've seen, you know, during this uh, COVID nineteen crisis and just the hollowing out of the American economy. Uh, it is treasonous and it's treason it happened in this way that it's not it's not so outrageous like in the olden days when there was a benedict arnold and like somebody clearly crosses the line and they go to the other side and that that was like true treason that people got hung for right now we have this just this sort of nudging state that like walks us perpetually deeper into a world where there is this elite oligarchical class that can't be touched who the rules don't apply to i mean if you look at something like uh, like, I don't want to dive off the conspiracy deep end, but if you look at something like the Jeffrey Epstein case, there were a lot of powerful people who were associated with that case, and there have been no charges brought against anybody. And, you know, he mysteriously winds up dead in his cell. There's no, nobody goes to jail over that. We, we live in this world, like Edward Snowden said it on Joe Rogan's podcast, we live in this world where we are forced to stand naked before power. And the reason I'm so excited about Bitcoin is it gives me, you know, a shield. Like, I don't have to stand naked before power anymore because I have defenses and I am able to protect myself. News is Epstein died of uh, COVID. <laughs> That's probably what it says on his uh, death certificate. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, we're not talking about that anymore. Like, that swept under the rug. Yeah, when, you know, you could say, listen, like, you could go and say... Um, there's this whole class of people who are who are just very soft, right? Who would support Twitter's banning uh, of me, and and you know to some degree I would support it too because Twitter's a private company and they can do what they want. But when it becomes this pervasive, I think it is your your duty to fight back against them telling you how to think. You can't just uh, you can't just bow down to somebody telling you how to think. You know what I mean? You have to even if even if it hardens you along the along the way. Like sometimes it's better to be hardened than to be subverted, basically. And how long have you had this kind of this streak in you? Well, it's not even a streak, right? It's a belief. Oh, this is since kindergarten. <laughs> this is just this is me. This has always been me. I you know I just I think it comes from uh, for me personally. I had sort of a traumatic childhood. And people that learn, you know, kids that learn they can't trust the adults in their life, you quickly realize, you extrapolate that out and you realize you can't trust any authority figures. And so that's where it all begins for me. By the time I hit school age, I'm already like, listen, my parents don't tell me the truth. You don't tell me the truth. Like, none of you know what's going on. So I'm going to pretend to listen. I'm not going to really listen. And then I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you know? Wow. Deep. Very deep. Um, no wonder then Bitcoin resonates so much. Yeah, totally. I, th I think um, I, I've, I've gone on about this before, about how I think that 
a lot of Bitcoiners share a similar personality type. Some of it is that anti-authority streak. I think more often than not, what it is is it's this personality, this very specific personality type that is both highly disagreeable to the point of being like almost a disorder. There's this disorder called oppositional defiant disorder, which I definitely see in the Bitcoin community. And that's just, you know, it only becomes disordered when you're doing it uh, nonstop, right? You're, you're opposing everything all the time nonstop. That's a dis, that's an oppositional defiant disorder, right? But I think Bitcoiners have this personality type writ large, which is... Um, Highly disagreeable, yes, but also highly conscientious. These are very deep-thinking and empathetic people who do want to see a change. And when you talk to Bitcoiners, these are the kind of people that if Bitcoin didn't exist, they would have been uh, pessimistic and problem members for their society because they're not just going to go along. Like, you know, by hook or by crook, they're going to resist you at every turn, right? And so having Bitcoin actually gives them a pathway to, a, to positive thought, to optimism, to you know, taking a stake in the world and uh, building out their future. And I think we're just, we're here early. Like, like that's going to change. We're just here early because, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, if you were in Bitcoin, you had to go against, you had to swim against stream pretty hard to just to get here, you know? Otherwise, you weren't, you, you'd just hear what they said on TV and you would be like, yeah, Bitcoin's for criminals, Bitcoin's a scam, Bitcoin's whatever, and we wouldn't be where we are today without the lunatics. So praise the lunatics, you know? Where do you, like, when, when you're sitting there looking at Twitter and you're thinking, right, I got to shake some shit up, I got to get some people, uh, like, all riled up and, you know, screaming at each other, does the content just, come to you like you know that's yeah that's just that's just me that's i used to do this i used to do this on facebook you know like i've always been this way like when i i remember when my like aunts started joining facebook you know when it became i mean when i when i first got on facebook it was the platform that uh maybe snapchat or tiktok is now which is just like it was the place where we would post you know us doing a bong rip and uh drinking beers and you know passed out drunk those photos right and then at some point, your Aunt Marjorie was on there and she'd be like, you know, Hoddle, I don't like your language. You need to clean it up on here. And you'd be like, shut the fuck. Or I did. I was like, shut the fuck up. You don't tell me how to live, you know. And so I just have always found it fun to split the difference, like to create cognitive dissonance because people are holding two separate thoughts often uh, at the same time. And if you can find the wedge between those thoughts, that is where maximum trolling happens. And it is a very uh, pleasing, it's a pleasing thing when you've found that wedge and you see both sides fracture and hate you, you know, or point inward. It's great. I love it. So if you, when you first got into Bitcoin, like many of us, we don't understand like OPSEC, like we just don't get it. But did you want to be pseudonymous from the beginning? Uh, I actually had a Bitcoin Twitter account that was not pseudonymous and uh, I Basically deleted it because I, I heard the messages about OPSEC, but I also was starting to get some attention on that account, and I just felt like it would be better to not have my real name attached to it uh, in any sort of way. Some of it for egoic reasons, just because I didn't want to start thinking I was so fucking great. Uh, you know, if it's a pseudonym, it's very easy to walk away from, just if it doesn't uh, please you anymore. 
to to be on Twitter like that and to mix it up with people. I, I think it's good. I think a lot of us are gonna go dark at some point because you know after the block size war, like okay, during the block size war, there was a real reason to be on Twitter because that was where the the fight was happening. That was where the conversation was happening, and we all just kind of hung around. <laughs> And so sometimes we're like a standing army who fights with each other just to keep our skills sharp, right? But there haven't been any battles to really fight recently because Bitcoin is just dominating uh, and the shit coins are slowly dying. So we won and now we're just kind of, uh, we're in it for our own kicks. And at some point that goes away, I think. Well, you know, last week, like, I loved your tweet. It's like, what the hell? I get kicked off for a week and JK Rowling starts talking about Bitcoin. Like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I thought that was, I can't imagine. This. Some of it is, I, I found that I really enjoy strengthening the inner circle of Bitcoin also. Like make, you know, iron sharpens iron. And just um, basically like when I started posting screenshots of me, like stacking sats and everything, which is one of the things, you know, we do. And uh, I, I was just like, yo, these are my sats. You're never going to have them. Like it makes into a sort of a friendly, you know, it's brinksmanship. It's like a friendly competition now, which uh, I enjoy. And it, it hardens the center, uh, you know, because when you talk to normies, like your, your friends who aren't in, interested in Bitcoin, um, it's impossible to get through to them because it's such a sea change in the way they view reality, right? It's, it goes beyond just, Buy a little Bitcoin. No, it goes it goes way beyond that. Like I think all of us who are here know that the rabbit hole is essentially endless, and that it will change your personality akin to having an LSD trip or something, right? Like it changes who you are, you know. So that's a big pill to swallow for most people. Let's dwell on that because anybody that is uh, listening um, that doesn't own Bitcoin or is thinking about owning Bitcoin, it's really hard to describe what you're talking about how it changes you like fundamentally um i i think the biggest one of the biggest things that happens is d did you have the same experience i did where when you took when, when you made your first transaction across the network from a wallet that you controlled to maybe a a, a merchant or to a friend or whatever i just had this immense feeling of power wash over me that was like i didn't have to ask anybody for this i didn't have to walk into a bank I didn't, nobody, there was no, nobody gave me permission to do this. I just did it. And I felt like this is the way it's supposed to be. If I just want to give you cash, you know, I just put cash in your hand. And now this is me doing that over the internet with nobody sitting in the middle of the transaction and, you know, telling us whether we can or cannot. Right. And that's, that's powerful. And that changes you. And then, you know, just the, all the ideas surrounding the monetary policy, and uh, you know, I, I think I think something that can make it easy for normal people is it, when we explain Bitcoin, it's kind of like, yes, Bitcoin is this this incredible computer science um, you know revelation, and it's like Jack Dorsey called it poetry, the Bitcoin white paper, right? And it is poetry, but that's just the modality in which to restore what we lost. So really, Bitcoin, when you're explaining it to normal people, the way I've been saying it now is I just say, Bitcoin is the way you think money works. It's not the way money actually works, right? It's the way you think, it's the way your grandparents spoke to you about money. That's what Bitcoin is. It's what it's supposed to be. Right, and you know, when you look at Austrian economics, like, what do you need to study? It's just common sense. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing to study. Right, <laughs> it's just... 
bit of a flippant thing to say, but you can get deep into human action as you like. And you're just like, wow, okay, this is just basic human action. Yeah. I've also never, I've never felt compelled to read uh, Mises or Rothbard or any, any of the uh, Austrian texts because I just feel that Bitcoin subsumes and supersedes all Austrian schools of thought uh, that came before it. Like, you know, Safedine was recently talking about basically he thought that, uh, you know, modeling was just a crock of shit, which is why he wasn't that into Plan B's model when it first came out. And I think he recently had the revelation that a lot of us had uh, when we first saw that model, which is just like, once it's all knowable, it's all endogenous to the chain, we can see what's going to happen and it's predictable, that does change the game on forecasting in a big way, right? And so that that's like a, you know, I, I do, like, I'm probably going to get skewered for this, but I do think that plan B will come out at some point and collect his Nobel Prize, basically. Like, I, 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 think, I think if his model breaks to the upside uh, after, after eight years or something, like, he's, he's going to get a Nobel Prize for sure. I mean, probably not because the people that run those institutions are social justice warriors nowadays, but he should get a Nobel Prize in a sane and rational world. I'll give him one. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, you bring that up and you make me think about um, technical analysis, uh, chartists. I've seen them all. Bollinger Bands, Fibonacci, Curves, Wedges, uh, you know, roll on over, the, the MACD, the cup handle, the Japanese candlesticks and whatever else. And I always thought like, guys, seriously, like, you know, you're looking at the past, right? Yeah, you're reading tea leaves of the past. There's no yeah. guarantee of the future. But now... Now you've said that, you know, Plan B's reading tea leaves of the future, like because it's there, it's yeah, it's in plain sight. What happens when the having actually occurs at the time we all know it's going to occur? We've never lived in a world like that. I mean, I was analogizing this a little bit. Like, think about what's uh, you know all the the world's government's response to COVID, right? And it's like if the having had been subject to committee, it would not have happened because there would have been a bunch of guys in the back of the room being like, you know, all with Corona and with all the inflationary printing that's going on and the great monetary inflation, maybe we should just not do the having right now. We'll do it six months from you know whatever. Like there would be. Weak human-led decisions that lead to and and they're so basic and they just you know when the Fed uh, met in '08 uh, during the height of the financial collapse I think it was some they talked for something like 20 minutes before they decided to pump more money than the world had ever seen into the global economy 20 minutes there's like a, a group of 12 people who all just are like I don't know and people in the meeting had reservations about what was happening but. You know, once that human failability enters the system, things are going to get failable. That's just how it works. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. All right. So rabbit hole story. How many times have you told it? Oh, uh, several. Just like when I first got into Bitcoin and et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I've told this a bunch of times, but so I'll give the short, the abbreviated version of it. I was uh, gambling at a casino with a buddy. I turned 200 bucks into 5,000 bucks. Nice. I walked out of the casino. Yeah, it was- What game? It was uh, playing black, playing blackjack, yeah. I was, uh, the best way to play blackjack is when you're super drunk. Because, <laughs> and, and, and here's- You always here's double down always, on 11, right? <laughs> exactly, you always, always, that's a life lesson. You always double down on 11. <laughs> but I, um, 
I, I always limit my risk by leaving my credit cards at home because, you know, you can cash advance a credit card at the casino. So I leave my credit cards at home. I only bring uh, money in a paper clip that I plan to gamble. And when it's gone, it's gone, right? I tell my friends, like, don't let me get in hock to you, you know, because sometimes we do deals where we, you know, borrow chips off each other at the table, et cetera. And uh, so you limit your downside risk the minute you walk into the casino. So when you walk into the casino, you should be guns blazing, like pedal to the metal. Like it's time to turn this money into something, right? So that's how I've always, always gambled. And that night I made five grand. The next day I really still felt like gambling. Put it all into Bitcoin without doing any research, just zero research. I was just like, Bitcoin seems like a wild gamble. So here you go. Uh, and then, you know, I had this voice in the back of my head that was basically like, because I had lost money gambling on um, penny stocks in college. And so I kind of had my father's voice in the back of my head being like, don't screw this up, you idiot, basically. you know. So I, uh, I started researching it. And then the minute you read the white paper and you start seeing what's going on, you're just like, oh, shit. Like, I can't believe I dismissed this. And then from there, it's game on. you know. I don't think there's been a single day since I first got into Bitcoin that I haven't read about Bitcoin, interacted with Bitcoin. Uh, it just pervades, it permeates my life now. You know, for sure. And the reason I reached out to you a little while ago was after listening to you on uh, Stefan Levera's uh, podcast. And uh, I was driving home and I was, I just found myself pissing myself at, at the wheel, laughing and uh, <laughs> just felt compelled. Well, you know, I've got to reach out, and, you know, just tell this guy that, you know, I, I just loved that story so much. And I'd love for you to share it with my listeners because, you know, I'm sure Stefan and I, we, we might have a few crossovers, but he's the podfather, right? He's got, he's got so much. Yeah, totally. So, totally. so much for following. Um, I'm definitely uh, attracting a, a new listener base. So the ethos behind you um, thinking through every purchase decision down to the last sat. And oh, yeah. the, the story of, well, this could become the next Will Ferrell film, I think. Like that, and, and you know, working title: The Million Dollar Moped. So, uh, <laughs> <if> you... <laughs> this is a great story. Um, Do it justice, though. Don't gloss over it. Yeah, like rub some stank <laughs> on it. Give us the whole thing. So, sometime in sometime in 2015, my uh, I think it was around summer of 2015, right? Bitcoin had just pumped to 500 bucks, and I remember thinking, like, woo, I doubled my money, you know. But I was also like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sell this Bitcoin because I believe it's worth millions of dollars, right? And my wife was in uh, nursing school, in graduate level nursing school, to become a what we call in America a nurse practitioner, like an advanced level care nurse. And she needed five grand for tuition, right? And you know, I had five grand worth of Bitcoin, but I'm an entrepreneur and I was sort of between jobs, and I did not have five grand worth of uh, you know United States dollars. So I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sell my fucking car. <laughs> my car is worth about 5,600 bucks. Let's do it. So I sold the car. Uh, I got 5,600 bucks for it. I bought a moped with for $500. This moped was called the Tao Tao 50. It's a 50cc moped that they make in China, obviously, because it's called the Tao Tao. And uh, a guy brought it to my house. Uh, you know, he buys them off Alibaba for 200 bucks and he puts them all together and sells them to you for 500 bucks. And so really it's a $200 moped, right? And uh, <laughs> so I paid my wife's tuition. And, you know, I live in Las Vegas. So for the rest of the summer, I'm on this 
fucking stupid moped with I'm wearing flip-flops, like no gloves, no helmet, no protective gear. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm mixing it up in open traffic, right? Like I, you know, I got clipped by a minivan one time. One time I left the bar on it and I crashed and my shoulder still clicks to this day from that incident, right? I also didn't feel, I didn't feel bad about doing a DUI on a scooter because I thought if I die, it's just me. I don't impact anybody else's life, you know? (laughs) So I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive this thing while I'm drunk. Uh, that's just gonna happen for sure. <laughs> and then you know the the real bitch of it was at the time like I'm I'm young I'm a new Bitcoin investor who's doubled. Uh, you know I'm doing really well in my business and I'm like I think my net worth is somewhere between a quarter million and four hundred thousand dollars at this time, right? And I'm driving this fucking moped and I'm going to I'm showing up at parties on this moped. I remember showing up to a friend's. Uh, it was it was his his kid's first birthday and i'm talking to some guy who you know has a timeshare uh he told me he had financed a refrigerator and i'm taking shit from him a guy who financed a refrigerator all right like my net worth is a hundred times this guy's net worth and i gotta take shit off this guy because he's got a leased ford f-150 and i'm driving a shitty moped but yeah i sat there and i took the shit you know, just thinking in the back of my mind, like, you fuckers will see. You'll all see, you know? And then literally, like, two years later, I became a multimillionaire. So that that moped was uh, honestly, you know, I the, the the biggest bummer about it is I sold it to some crackheads uh, for 50 bucks. So, because I really, <laughs> I really got my use out of it, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I w- I'm bummed because it would be really nice to have that moped in, in a mansion one day. Just to tell that story again, you know, I should, I should find those meth addicts and buy it back from them. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be so good. Oh my god! But yeah, this this goes into like a certain sickness I have that once you start to really use Bitcoin as your unit of account, like I remember during the 2017 uh, top, you know, the Bitcoin price is like twenty thousand dollars, and I'm walking around to my wife, and I'm like, you see this chair that you wanted? You see this chair? Cost four hundred dollars. It's a $20,000 chair, okay? I just want you to know that. Do you see this couch that we spent $5,000 on? This is a several hundred thousand dollar couch. I just want you to, I just want you to know that, right? And my wife is like, listen, I'm gonna let you do this for one day. One. <laughs> and then you have to stop because I can't listen to it anymore. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's, it's amazing the way Bitcoin works on your brain, you know? It's amazing. It makes you so stingy. You never want to buy anything ever again. Yeah. Like yeah, you know, we, a material oh object. <laughs> Dude, when it, when I was at one of the conferences with the uh, with the Bitcoiners, I was just like, everybody at this conference, I know because I'm interacting with these people, everyone's a millionaire. And they're so fucking stingy about the open bar. Every single one down to a man. Like, I remember when they closed the bar at like two in the morning. It's me and every other Bitcoiner up there, all millionaires or multimillionaires, double fisting, you know, their beers, trying to get as much free beer as possible. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's it's not just it's all of us. We have a we have a sickness, you know, but it's also uh, our saving grace at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Whenever any of the kids want anything, I'm like, well, you know, calculate to me and you know, calculate that in sats for me. Because that's <laughs> although yeah, my, my oldest daughter, she's like, uh, Daddy, I need a new phone. I need a new phone. I'm like, okay, well, you got money in your bank account. And she's like, Oh right. I'm like, and by the way, whatever you spend on a new phone, you have to put 
the same amount into Bitcoin because then that phone will turn to free. Think about this. Whatever phone you want, you've got to put the same amount back. And she did it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's sinking in. I have the, uh, I have the bit piggies for my children. They're not quite old enough to understand, you know? Yeah. Right now we're playing, you know, learning about money is just, uh, us playing with quarters on the floor. But when they are old enough to understand, I am going to tell them, you know, listen, every time you get some money, uh, you need to do three things with it. You need to save some for your future self. You need to spend some because you got to enjoy life right now. And you need to give a little to other people who have it less fortunate than you. Because especially, you know, my children are going to grow up in this hyper-privileged way. And uh, so I'm constantly thinking about ways in which I can uh, spare them from ruin. (laughs) You know? Mm. Because it's just it's it's very money ruins people, especially if you didn't have to work for it. I've I've seen it consistently. You know, I grew up like mildly privileged myself. Like in America, we call it the upper middle class, right? And uh, it just means if you're in the upper middle class, it means your father is a professional person, like a lawyer or a dentist or an accountant, right? And you have a, you're doing well. Like you're not like the you're not the Rockefellers, but you're doing well. Like things are okay, right? And um, I would just see it with friends who had more, you know, friends who were trust funders, like whose parents were worth 30, 40 million bucks. They still to this day have no ambition, no drive, no purpose, no meaning. It's an empty life. And you can ruin your children that way quickly, right? So that this is one of my one of my things I think about because you know, once you realize the value of sats, right? You're like, okay, I'm gonna hold these sats forever because they're that fucking valuable. And then forever goes a little beyond you because you're like, my kids are going to hold these sats. Their kids are going to hold these sats, right? Some, some amount of these sats are going to find their way to the fifth and sixth and hopefully seventh generation if we do, if we do a good enough job teaching these children uh, how to live. And, you know, when you really like, when you get all the trappings around you in life, you know, you're living in the nice house and you got the pool and you got a good car and... You know, anything more than just having enough money to go out to a nice meal every once in a while is just total fucking bullshit. Uh, so you don't really, like, you don't need a $1,000 purse. You don't need, you know, all this crap. You don't need a wristwatch that costs 20 grand. Like, those are the things that ruin people. Those little signifiers that just say, I'm better than other people. And the truth is, you're not better than other people. And you're especially not better than other people if it's your father's money, <laughs> you know? So that's the lesson I'm trying to impart on my kids. That's a little much for an 18-month-old, which is what my oldest is right now. <laughs> so we'll work on that later, you know. Right now we're just doing shapes and colors, you know. Yeah. What excites me is, um, you know, if we, if we do it right, these guys and their kids, they will grow up and have the opportunity to work on projects that, you know, just fill them with passion. Right? They won't have to go and find the grind. They won't have to go and they'll still have to pay the man in some way, but they won't have to like, you know, do the commute and do all of this, you know, just go cap in hand as soon as they leave school to find a job with every other poor lemming in line at these, you know, revolving doors of Goldman Sachs or whatever. Oh, totally. I think, I think that is the biggest, that is the biggest thing that excites me about Bitcoin is the fact that I think a lot of us uh, believe that Bitcoin can, you know, re-kick start the global innovation engine and give us the type of advances we should have had by now because there's been this great you know stagnation in tech advance in a while and people don't see it because they think oh my phone and all this software and everything right but it's like 
uh, Peter Thiel's uh, Founders Fund slogan is, we, you know, we were supposed to have flying cars and we got 140 characters, right? This is like, Twitter is great. It's not a replacement for flying cars. Like, let's build the fucking future that we all want to see. Uh, and that's, I think, I think when, once you get rid of capital misallocation, which Bitcoin does, it goes back to our, our talk about forecasting. When you have approximate and appropriate economic calculation, uh, you can do a lot of things, and you know businesses that are unfit are going to fail faster. It's 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 more Darwinistic. It's much more survival of the fittest. I was mixing it up a little bit with Peter McCormack today, and he was like, you know, um, these guys on these other guys on Twitter are calling for BlockFi, uh, this Bitcoin company, to be deleted, right? And they're they're basically attacking this company straight up. And I'm like, that's free market capitalism. If that company is not weak, is not is weak enough to fold under the pressure of that attack, they don't deserve to stand, right? Like we need to be more ruthless in capitalism so that we can be less ruthless in other areas of life, you know? What is going on there? Do you know? Do you have any uh, uh, idea? Yeah, so they got hacked and they doxed all of their customers' information. So if you're a BlockFi customer, uh, the hackers now have info on how much Bitcoin you have, uh, who you are, where you are, you know? Your social security number, if you had to give that to BlockFi. I don't use BlockFi personally, but that's the big beef. And then the company did a piss poor job of managing uh, the fallout from that. You know, I'm not. I'm not willing to like. I don't like the company. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a net benefit for Bitcoin, in my opinion. And it's not a. It's. It, it doesn't suit my risk model for Bitcoin. For my Bitcoin personally, like I would never lend my Bitcoin to a custodian for United States dollar dominate, denominated returns, especially returns that are, so, that are a pittance compared to what you should be getting if you're lending out your Bitcoin, right? Because this is the hardest uh, capital known to man. And so anyway, anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, I think the company just did a piss poor job managing the fallout from that because nobody really came out and said like, we screwed up, this is on us, here's the path to fix it. And when you see a company, when you see especially a startup shirk responsibility like that, to me, if I had money at BlockFi, that's a fucking sign to hit the exit doors. That's a sign to run. Like things are not great if that's happening. Yeah, they have fundraising and stuff, but that can all go poof in an instant. Do you get the sense that there could be some some others out there that are, you know, just waiting to fall down at the same trap, the same hole that you kind of like uh, look at and think, mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, we talk about it all the time, but you have to touch the stove to know that it's hot, right? So as much as we try and warn you about services like this, um, and you know, to be fair, like they haven't lost customer funds yet that we know of, but there is a large risk of that happening with a young startup like this, especially in this space. The, his the track record and the history is not good. Um, I remember myself, Lending uh, a full Bitcoin out on BTC Jam, which was a peer-to-peer -peer lending network in uh, back in like 2015-16 era, right? And it's obviously defunct because everybody was exit scamming with the Bitcoin that got lent on that platform because the model didn't make any sense. You'd be you'd be lending Bitcoin to uh, micro entrepreneurs in the third world. And when the price of Bitcoin went up, as it inevitably did, they would default on the loan, which is like, yeah, that's obvious. That's going to happen. And so, I, yeah, I basically lost a full Bitcoin on that. Uh, and thinking back on that, you know, that's 10 grand right now and, and growing. 
<laughs> so that's a lot of mopeds. That's a lot of telltales right there. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to touch the stove to know that it's hot. We we try, you know, uh, Bitcoiners do care. Uh, they have hearts of not gold, but Bitcoin, and uh, they they want to save people. They want to save people, but you know, no one fucking listens. I remember spending all of 2017 trying to tell people um, the things they were investing in were obvious scams. I remember I had a buddy. He sent me this this shitty ICO I'd never heard of, right? And uh, he goes, what do you think about this one, man? Uh, it sounds like they're using AI. And I was like, yeah, this is an obvious exit scam. And he was like, "What? how much should I put in? Like 800 bucks? Like 1,000 bucks? I was like, just put in whatever you want, dude. You're going to lose your fucking money. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't, you can't talk to these people. But there, like you say, you know, there is something to, to take in that hit, to take in that lesson. Yeah, it's valuable. It's the same thing with uh, the, you know, it's kind of like the lesson we were talking about with children. Kind of have to treat them like children and just say, hey, go out and scrape up your knees and then you'll learn not to do that anymore. You know, touch the stove to see that it's hot. Uh, otherwise, you're never going to believe me and you're going to touch it eventually and get burned even worse. So might as well do it under my supervision, right? Like, and I, th- you know, this goes into a much larger point about how fiat has turned us all into soft-minded um, adults, basically. Like, we don't really make hard economic calculations anymore. What we do in society, in Western society writ large, is we try and get closer to centers of power because those centers of power seem to be uh, outputting the most capital. And so if you want capital for yourself, you have to go play that game, right? But we're not making the hard economic calculations that uh, I think our, our grandparents and further back had to make in order to uh, prosper, you know? We, we just are playing power games with each other, basically. Do you feel, coming into what we all think is going to be uh, another bull run for the next year or two, that there is going to be as much ICOing kind of nonsense as there was back in 2017? I think, uh, no, not as much as there was in 2017. I think there will be like one or two darling um, ICOs, like the Ethereum of, of the new era, right? And I don't know what those are because I don't spend time on the shitcoin forums, but they're probably already out there right now and they're going to become a big deal in the next 18 months to 24 months. But I don't think we're going to see this just... Scambrian explosion like we saw in 2017. I mean, in 2017, you could put your money into fucking anything and it would go up in value, right? I remember uh, I told the story, but I got I bought I bought a shitty ICO called A Eternity, and it was one of the first ones, you know, because it had an A in there. It was one of the first ones these hackers drained. So they drained like 30 million bucks of funding from it. I remember seeing that and thinking, well, all right, I, I write off my six grand or whatever I put in there. And uh, then I came back like a few months later and that it was worth like 30 grand. And I was like, how? It got hacked almost immediately. That was the insanity. You know, the market can stay irrational for longer than you can stay solvent. The market was highly irrational in 2017. And I think um, if we see that same ir- irrationality applied in this climate, I think it's going to go in Bitcoin's direction, meaning we're going to get some outrageous Bitcoin price and then we're going to have a hard fall after that. You know, like if if Bitcoin takes a shot at, let's say, a million dollars this time around, that's too early for that price. So it's it's going to collapse hard 
and uh, that's going to drive some dissent like it always does. But, you know, for those of us who are here through the good times and the bad times, I'm, you know, I'll be hodling every day for the next 10,000 days. So I'll be here, right? <laughs> it's like, it's just part of the cycle. Yeah, exactly. And what do you think now about, um, personally, I think it's very cool as what's going on, you know, these easy on-ramps for people to start um, dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. Do you have any thoughts around, um, you know, the companies that are being built up around that? And are you pointing uh, like your friends or family that are asking about Bitcoin towards these kind of services now that we did we didn't have back then, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I will only point somebody towards a service that's uh, maximalist, right? That's Bitcoin on that's Bitcoin only, uh, for for a myriad of reasons, right? Not just because I'm some religious disciple, but there's, you know, like you look at something like Coinbase, who's still having they're still having outages three years after the bull market because they have all this technical debt from all the shit coins that they brought on. They should, there's no way in hell they should be having outages when the price pumps, right? So I obviously, you know, back in 2017, 2016, I would recommend Coinbase as, a, as an easy onboarding tool for noobs. And then when they started adding shit coins, I no longer do that. So usually my go-to is the Cash App. Um, if somebody is really taking the pill and they're, they're pretty interested in Bitcoin, I'll tell them Swan or uh, River, you know, and just try and support the more maximalist-based institutions. I guess my only thought on it is I hope that the guys like Swan and the guys like River can compete in a world where Fidelity and JP Morgan start offering, you know, Cash App, like where they have to go against real behemoths. I hope that they have enough of a differentiator in their product where uh, they can survive and thrive along with everybody else because I would like to see um, good people who run good services do well, you know? Do you ever have a worry that like um, one thing that the regulators might be able to pull is making it illegal for, you know, bank transactions into companies like, you know, that are being built right now um, mm. or into the exchanges because that just seems like a pretty easy button for them to press. I mean, we go any other way at the moment. I think JP Morgan just started uh, accepting um, uh, bank accounts directed to uh, cryptocurrency um, companies. I do think, yeah, I do think that um, for, okay, for me, you know, I've been down the Bitcoin rabbit hole long enough that I think it's unlikely that we will see a Bitcoin ban. The time to ban Bitcoin was six or seven years ago, right? It's basically too late now. I don't think they could do it because first of all, especially here, like I'll speak for America. I mean, you're going to disenfranchise um, this whole group of young people, millennials and below who have actually made good money off of Bitcoin, who have found it to be the only um, asset that's worth having in this environment that's manipulated by their government. And uh, first of all, so you have that, right? There's a lot of dissent if you do something along those lines. Um, secondly, you know, it's going to be near impossible to technically pull off a Bitcoin ban, even if you do stop, you know, bank transfers for a time period. You're going to create this sort of Streisand effect, which makes the consumer appetite for Bitcoin that much higher. Because if the U.S. government is this afraid of it, and if they're banning it this much, at the same time, headlines, you would have to imagine like the headlines at the time are going to be, you know, U.S. currency becoming more worthless, family of four having a harder time, you know, surviving on, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to create, it's going to just drive market adoption underground. And they're not going to want that because they're going to, they're going to want to keep tabs on what's going on. I also think, thirdly, you're going to see Bitcoin be more, um, I don't want to say co-opted, but 
definitely assimilated into the state at some point, and they will do that to maintain the status quo. They will do that to maintain power because at a certain point, you can't fight what's happening here. The momentum is just too great. And like like we said, there are really no people to press on to stop this. You, I mean, they come to you, they come to me, press on us, take our Bitcoin, right? We're nothing. We're, we're insignificant to the grand scheme of things. People are going to still be running nodes. Uh, you know, blocks are still going to be being formed and halvings are still going to continue on schedule. You can't stop Bitcoin, right? So... I th- I think the idea of a Bitcoin ban by world's, the world's most powerful governments is if it does happen, it'll be short-lived. But I don't even think uh, it's likely to happen, especially since once powerful people own it, like once a guy like Paul Tudor Jones owns it, you're you're not gonna ban it. You'll get lobbied so fucking hard and so fucking fast. From you'll be being hit from every angle by the rich and the powerful who want to see who see this as a way to make money because you've corrupted and ruined uh, the system that they've been playing in. Like, you know, stocks are probably going to be flat for the next 10 years. And so a guy like Paul Tudor Jones, he said it. He wants the fastest horse in the race. He wants to make fucking money. And if the Wall Streeters are on board, there's fucking no way they ban it. It's impossible, right? That's that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is it incentivizes human greed. It's, it's, it's run, on a way, it's run, we say it's run on energy, but it's really run on human greed. Human greed is what runs Bitcoin, you know? Yeah, interesting point. Would you ever leave the US to move to a different country that was like, you know, fully open, Bitcoin friendly, uh, favorable yes. tax rates? Right there. <laughs> in, in, a heart, in a heartbeat. Uh, Bitcoin, is my na- Bitcoin is my nationality. <laughs> right. And when did that change for you? Um, I, yeah, I would say probably around 2017. When I just saw the the power of Bitcoin be unleashed, you know, I'm loyal to the thing that is going to make me most prosperous as an individual, which is a very American ethos, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what I'm all about. I don't give a shit about, uh, you know, a failed state who's trying to keep me subordinate to them. Nope. I'll go anywhere I find a favorable regulatory climate, and I'll just go over there and be rich. There you go. Simple. <laughs> it's like, how are you gonna how are you gonna stop people like me? We have supreme social mobility, and now I can hop borders without uh, you know you confiscating my wealth. I can also leave America without an exit tax. I can do anything I fucking want, right? So I'm beholden to no one. It feels amazing. I think this is going underappreciated because we have so many countries around the world that have you know you know they've they've had to play the game, you know, going on to the U.S. dollar you know reserve currency in effect. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, look at Greece, Cyprus, Spain. Well, look at the pigs, we call them, you know, Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, Spain. Like one of these countries just says, right, Bitcoin welcome. And yeah. by the way, you know, as government mandate, we are going to start buying Bitcoin and um, we're going to start basing more of our decisions based on uh, like Bitcoin investments. It would be it would it would work out really well for me if it was Ireland because uh, I'm only a second ge- I'm only a second generation American, and uh, I actually have the ability to go gain citizenship in Ireland anytime I want to because my uh, mother was born or my grandmother was born in Galway. So if it's Ireland, all the better for me, you know. But I will go wherever there is a favorable climate where I can continue to prosper with or without the help of the U.S. government or the protection of the U.S. government. Does it take long for one of these countries to figure out that, you know, some of the smartest um, 
that's a bit contrite to say, but there are some very smart people in the space. The, some people are there are very smart people in the space. Very like you know, technical uh, programmers, coders, um, lawyers, accountants from every sector. Right? It's attracted the creme de la creme. So if one yeah. country just wants to build on, in, th- there would be a flock. There would be brain drain out of all of the other countries that um, that are trying to regulate it. I mean, in the states, you have to pay tax if you sell, right? And, and like a capital gains tax. Totally. Capital gains tax on something that gets fudded the shit out of, and something that people are trying to. Yeah, I know. It's almost like your your own your own government is fighting against your investment, and by all. Like against all odds, you succeeded, and then they're gonna hit you for attacks on the backside. It, it doesn't doesn't feel good, you know. I do have hope. I do have hope for America, though, because you know, whatever you read about America uh, on the on the global stage, like America is still being run by some very intelligent and motivated people, and in the back rooms in D.C., L.A., New York, San Francisco. Um, some of the best and brightest people in the entire world are there working to make America better. And, you know, right now they just don't have a system that supports them. So for, I I guess for me, it's kind of a question of like, how do, when does the, when do the incentives break in a way uh, that's egregious enough where we can put in a better system or go back to just the system we had, because we're very far away from our constitution here in America and in my opinion, we need to get much closer to it. That's why I got banned off of Twitter because I was saying that we should, um, you know, kill politicians for treason, which is a constitutional right that we're allowed to kill uh, traitors against America, against the United States of America. So it's time to break out the guillotine. Actually, that's a French thing. We should just do it firing, firing squad style, you know, <laughs> lethal injection, which I hear is very painful. It's it's kind of like that V for Vendetta thing, right? It's like. People aren't supposed to be scared of their governments. Governments are supposed to be scared of their people. And we're very far away from that world at the moment. Like we don't have the the power. Everything has become too amorphous. It's too nebulous. You can't figure out who to be mad at. I think this is one of the problems that a lot of people are having uh, in society. You know, there's all this talk about you know, well, my my protected group or my group is discriminated against or, you know, my group didn't get this, my group didn't get that. What what people are all talking about, but they just don't realize it yet, is they are talking about their group, their class, their, their tribe, their, you know, religion being too far from the Fed window and not having access to cheap the, the cheap flow of capital, right? That's what they really are talking about. They just don't know how to put it in that language. Um, but that is the core problem with Western government, you know, writ large. Like, could you imagine uh, continuing to live in the UK? I mean, it just seems like one of the most oppressive regimes I've seen in the G20 countries. It's, you know, as you know, I've not lived there for 20 years, uh, but my, my whole family is still there. You know, my brothers, my, my parents, my wife's brothers and, and her parents. Um, it's crazy. Like, you know, yeah. what's going on? Um, we just, I mean, no one's talking about Brexit anymore. That's the only thing people talked about for four years. Like yeah. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. I, I'm always I'm, I'm always amazed. There's this show I like on the BBC uh, called Grand Designs. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's just, you know, it's like people building homes and it's, I'm always amazed at the amount of permitting 
uh, ecological studies, you know, like just these standards that some anonymous group of bureaucrats put in. Out here where I am in Nevada, you want to build a structure, you basically just fucking build it, right? <laughs> like you just put it up. You don't have to ask a committee of assholes whether you can put it up or not, you know? A lot of cash as well, by the way. You know, there's surveys yes, exactly. thousands. Um, but yeah, you're right, you know? And when I look at what's going on, it, it's very worrying that um, the narrative is always fear-driven, fear, fear, fear. And to your point, what you were saying earlier, that divides people and, you know, divide and conquer. It's very easy to keep people down when they're afraid of each other and right. throwing stones at each other's religious groups. You know, you're, 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 you're a Brumano, you're a Brexiteer, perfect. You just split the country 50% down the middle. You know, you've split the country families in half. And I know that happened, you know, this happens in the US like each four years. Um, you know, very polarizing. Yeah. In, uh, I, I think a large part of this is based on uh, the theory of postmodernism. Are you familiar at all? No. So there's this guy, I think he was a Frenchman named Derrida, who basically comes up with this idea for postmodernism. And to boil it all down, it really just means that, you know, Western society is patriarchal. There's no real truth. There's only what you make the truth and that the men with penises are basically making everybody subordinate to them and that we should uh, be free to you know create our own reality as we as we choose right and from that you see all this transgenderism that has happened um all this race baiting that has happened because people have realized basically like if we're in this sort of power struggle right where there is no correct way to economically calculate to get out of it uh, well, we're going to have to fight and claw and scrape for what we get. And since it's all just a power game anyway, then we might as well you know, pull out every dirty trick in the book in order to win. And I think you can tie this directly to uh, Nixon taking us off the gold standard in 71 because this theory emerges about six years after uh, we're off the gold standard. And I just don't think a, a theory that's this deconstructionist would have found purchase in a world that was uh, more rooted in hard economic truths and reality because now you look at the people who do I mean I mean think about it like you you have a job where you go into a office and you make spreadsheets for your corporation right you're basically just creating like you know these uh these fake narratives for this fake corporation to get fake money like you're just a slave and you're you know reciting a pledge to your corporation every day, your corporate masters, in order to basically survive and be kept in the uh, style of life that you're accustomed to. And I know that this, uh, this gets a little heady and it's a little abstract, but that is the world we live in and this is a prevailing ideology on uh, Western university campuses, especially here in America. Um, this idea of postmodernism and deconstructionism, it pervades every institution uh, that we have, especially in the humanities and we're even seeing it you know sort of bleed into the science technology and uh, medical fields you know and you know this is why we end up with everybody out on a friday night drinking their asses off just to press that you know release valve um yeah, yeah. totally it's it, well hedonism makes a lot of sense if you're going to, if you have no future if your future is bleak right like live for live for today you know i mean we've seen that in every war that's ever been fought, that the soldiers only live for the current moment. And that's kind of how it feels to be 
uh, an American citizen, a UK citizen, a European citizen, you know? It, it kind of feels like you have no hope that the elites are pulling the levers and that it's all happening in some smoky room you're never going to have access to. But we have Bitcoin. So, you know, that's the people's money. That's the people's revolution. Like, just buy Bitcoin. And the minute you do, I'm telling you, like, it sounds like a corny sales pitch, but you're going to fucking feel better. Like, I felt better the minute I bought Bitcoin because I, I felt for the first time I was learning to trust myself again. I was being self-reliant for maybe the first time in my entire life. I was taking responsibility for my own wealth, for my future, you know, and there's so much power in that. That is what it is to be uh, a human being. Like that's the thing that separates us from animals. That's the society that we are supposed to have, right? But like we always see these cycles where we go back to, you know, paper denominated currencies and people do start acting in strange ways because it becomes this raw power game. It's rule of the jungle, right? And uh, it's sort of every man for himself. And in the States, right, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> you have the 401k, which is, um, that's not in your, I mean, it's sold to be in your best interest because this is going to be like your retirement once you get there, but there's no self-sovereignty to that, right? That's just like, okay, you sweep my money away over there, you invest in what? you think you should invest in because I'm clearly not clever enough or smart enough to make my own decisions. So it's a, it's, it's a little more complicated. Like it's not, it doesn't work the same way as uh, it does in Singapore where things are uh, like, you know, I think it's more uh, required in Singapore, right? Where they, yeah. So the American 401k and IRA system is voluntary. Um, well, we, we have a, we have a requirement that's taken out of our checks called social security but that's a pittance just to keep you from killing yourself, basically. Um, it's just enough to give the aging population, you know, so that they can live a miserable, bleak existence. But it doesn't really set you up for anything. But you're right. I mean, the vast majority of people who are participating in their uh, employer-sponsored 401k, they just kind of pick a list of funds. They don't know what's fucking in the funds, right? I don't even think the fund managers know what's in the funds, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they they get a match sometimes from their company. The matches used to be a lot better. They're not very good now. Uh, I remember my father used to get a 100% match on his. That was like a big bonus, you know, for working at that company. And now I think you're lucky to get a 6% match, right? Like that would be like a big deal here in America today. But you're right, it's, it's paternalism. You know, you, you want daddy corporation to take care of you. And then you want even bigger daddy government to take care of that corporation. And so everybody's safe and secure. And, you know, nobody ever has to learn any hard lessons about life and how calculating incorrectly is going to fuck you, right? And to be fair to normal people, it is immoral to force them to make that choice because there is no alternative for them pre-Bitcoin. There was no alternative for them pre-Bitcoin. There is no, There was no ability to just keep your money under your mattress uh, and not be forced to swim with sharks on Wall Street. There was no ability for that, right? And to be able to save your purchasing power. So now that we have Bitcoin, there is a more moral standard. And I think once people start to wise up to the fact that uh, Bitcoin is how they think money should work, then I think it's going to be, that's when the revolution takes place. That's when we see mainstream adoption, right? Because right now it's still, you know, it's still complicated, uh, but the cracks are, the cracks are growing wider and wider in the current system as we see them, you know? And uh, by the end of this thing, man, if we get a deflationary, you know, spiral and then an inflationary spiral, 
like, what is that going to look like for normal people? You know, it's a huge, huge question. Did you have this? Did you have the same feeling I had on March twelfth, where on March twelfth, when the global economy started to collapse and uh, Bitcoin collapsed alongside it, I had this feeling that was very distinct. And I remember talking to my wife about it, and you know, I had just lost like a bunch of money, right? <laughs> like, because the Bitcoin price got 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 severely impacted by the what we think were the cascading liquidations at BitMEX and et cetera, right? But um, I still had this just feeling, this gut feeling that I was going to make so much money from this catastrophe that w- me and you know, I was talking to my wife. I was like, our family, we're going to do so well from this. But normal people are going to be severely impacted. It's going to get much, much, much worse than it is right now. And uh, yeah, it was a very melancholy feeling. Uh, and it wasn't just because I, I had lost like a million dollars that night. It, it was more than that, right? <laughs> I had exactly the same conversation. Yeah, exactly the same conversation. I never have like CNBC on or CNN or anything like that ever. But my phone was lighting up. You know, old friends, old um, colleagues, old clients. Um, you know, are you looking at this? Are you? Are you have you seen this? Have you seen what's going on? So I, I, I flick it on. I'm like, holy crap! And yeah. you know, not an ounce of fear. It's like you know, yeah, you see the the Bitcoin price, and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, great. Mm-hmm. The stacks are more stats. <laughs> this is yeah. on, this is on fire sale. This is awesome. Um, but then coming to the realization, very, like so surreal, surreal right? right? I mean, I remember saying to her, like, you know, this is going to play out in one or two years. This is going to be bad. There's going to be people we know are going to, like, lose almost everything. But we're going to be okay, perhaps more than okay, perhaps better than we've ever been before. And are we ready to to handle that? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's, it reminds me of that scene in uh, The Big Short. You've seen that where, Mm -hmm. you know, he goes, you know what you just did? You just bet against the American, uh, you know, economy. And they're like, fuck yeah, we did. And they're dancing around. He goes, you know, people are going to lose their lives. People are going to lose their jobs. Just don't fucking dance, right? And I think that was the feeling of just, you knew it was going to happen. You predicted it. You saw it coming. It all happened so quick, so rapidly, uh, much more rapid than I think I believed it was going to happen. I didn't think all that was going to transpire in the space of two weeks, and you just feel powerless, right? It's like being on the deck of the Titanic and seeing the iceberg well before everybody else sees it and then watching everybody else's reaction and seeing the people who are blasé about it and just being like, you're going to fucking die. Like, I'm running to the lifeboat, you know? And I'm screaming at you to get in and some of you are still standing there on the deck. Mm. But I can't get you in here with me. Like, that's the, that was the feeling for me. And uh, I've been screaming at people for years, right? So it's like, even before that moment, I've been screaming at people for five years and nobody listens to me, you know? And uh, I don't know what more you can do other than that, really. I guess I could like take it on myself, but I don't have enough capital to take it on myself for all these people, Mm. you know? It's it's a very interesting uh, predicament. It is, and I'm I'm actually having a a psychologist come on the show next week to, to talk about this exact thing. Ah, interesting. Because she, you know, she her main client base is very high net worth individuals, um, 
decamillionaires up to billionaires, um, CEOs of companies, um, you know, who all suffer with this, like, I don't even know what to call it, like imposter syndrome, maybe. But, um, yeah. you know, you said it earlier, right? You you get there, you got the, the nice house, you got all the stuff, you think that's brilliant, that's me done, that's me, you know. But at the end of the day, no. Like, you know, life is more yeah. than just that. Um, do you have hope, though, that, you know, as this plays out over the next few decades, that um, some Bitcoiners, uh, you know, with with the right attitude and the right ethos and the right moral fiber, start finding their way into, you know, politics and places of power that can... Oh, you know. totally, totally. I think, though, it's very... You know, I'll tell you a story. Um, I was hanging out at a, a billionaire's house one time. I got We got invited to a... We were doing some work with them and then, you know... We we got invited. Invited the, <laughs> I wish I would have liked to ask him some questions. Um, you know, we got, so we got, we got invited to this very, you know, fancy mansion party, you know, like, like what, what you would expect. Right. And at the end of the night, it was just us and the billionaire, me and my crew and the billionaire. Uh, and we were just, you know, pissed drunk, like so drunk. Right. And he's taken us on a tour of the of the all the art in his home, and he has all this art that's about socialism and about you know he has he had these pictures of Cuba before Castro and Cuba after Castro. He had these pictures of like you know the the Native Americans uh, when they were being moved to their reservations. Very interesting guy. Like he clearly thought very deeply about a lot of these issues, you know. And he had um, just this whole smorgasbord of of very expensive art that was depicting sort of the struggle uh, that the common person has. And I asked him, you know, point blank, I said, do you spend all of your time thinking about uh, poverty and how it's a mind virus? And he said, absolutely. And I have come up with absolutely no solutions on how to fix it. You know, like he did, he does charity and he, you know, all that kind of stuff, all that good stuff, but he didn't know how to actually fix it for people. And, uh, I wish I, you know, I didn't have the language at the time because I, I was new to Bitcoin when this happened. But I wish I would have told them Bitcoin fixes this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you have to change the underlying system. Like you don't understand that you're in this home, and it, it's not it's not a hundred percent because you're so exemplary, right? This this guy is connected in a way that's he's he's basically American royalty. He comes from one of these families that's just a deep political dynasty. And if I told you his last name, you would know it in a heartbeat, right? Mm. And he didn't realize the, I mean, I think he does realize the privilege, but he kind of thought like, well, I'm an exemplary person and how do we raise other people up to my level, right? And I was like, you're taking advantage of the system as it exists, which is like more power to you. I would do the same thing in your position. But you have to understand that you have made the majority of your money from being close to centers of power. That is how you made your money. You're not some great entrepreneur innovator, right? Like he is technically an entrepreneur as they all are. But uh, a really interesting guy, really interesting conversation. But I, I just always think about him and the way in which he thinks about poverty. And I think I think about it myself quite often. I don't think there's, I don't see any method to fix it that doesn't um, replace the existing monetary base. I think the the thing that we've been talking about where Bitcoin is a mind virus and it changes the way you think and it changes the way you are, I think that's the thing that's needed 
uh, for people to pull themselves out of poverty, right? It's crazy. You know? Like, uh, I don't know. Did you see? So there was this Bitcoiner um, on Twitter. His name is Atlas. And we, I sent him a million sats and then the ball got rolling. Yes. And that the, was amazing. Yeah. And, and by the time it was all done, uh, he had got sent, you know, a full Bitcoin, right? And, you know, basically everybody chipped in to like change this dude's life. And I've been talking to him, you know, because $10,000 is a lot of money in Colombia, right? It's not a lot of money to you and me, but in Colombia, it's a lot of fucking money. And I've been talking to him uh, over and over again. And he is so ardent about holding on to his sats. Like he wants to keep them until the inevitable future occurs. And he's like, working a, a low-end job where he cleans um, offices, you know, after hours, right? And in his, like, in his local village and stuff, like, he's a rich man, right? Like, he has $10,000 now. But it's changed his brain in a way that he understands the value proposition and the fact that we were all able to make it come together globally uh, without any trusted third party. We just did it. It was just a spontaneous act of charity that occurred. It's just so fucking beautiful, like, what's happening here. You know, I can't, I, it's very hard to get that across to normal people unless, unless you're in it and you see it and you know what it is, you know? So, so the listeners, um, so we can make sure that, that this story doesn't go completely untold. Um, the way I saw it play out, um, I got to the story like midway through it, I think. And I just went all the way back up to the top of the thread and he asked you a question or something, and you just said, "Shoot me an address." And I, I was, uh, I was bragging about buying some sat, some sats, as I'm apt to do, right? And you know, I had bought like two thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin or something, right? And uh, he, he showed me, you know, like, hey man, f- fucking love that you put your money where your mouth is, you know, like, uh, it's awesome. Like I'm stacking hard too, but like you know, I'm in Colombia, and here's all I've managed to do so far, but. I'm, you know, and and he had nineteen dollars in his account, right? I don't remember what it was in in Bitcoin, but he didn't. Ha- it was a pit. It was a pittance. So I just said, "Hey, send me an address." He sent me an address. Uh, I sent him a hundred bucks, which was a million sats. And uh, then I think Bashko was the next guy to hop on, who's you know a Reddit mod and a Bitcoin Twitter user, and he sent in a couple hundred bucks. And then it just started where like the Bitcoin, you know, plebes, the, this just horde of Anon Bitcoiners were all sending in uh, low dollar amounts, but, you know, they added up to be a full Bitcoin and the guy never asked for it. You know, he just was, he was one of us, right? Like the reason I did it is he was one of us, but he was stuck in a shit place. Mm. I'm not, I wasn't stuck in a shit place. I was born in America and my father was a prominent lawyer. So that's a very privileged position that I come from, right? And if I have some degree of small like Twitter clout or whatever, well, I might as well fucking use it to do good for this guy who just happened to be a loser of the Cantillion effect. But we we all bandied together and made him a fucking winner in the Bitcoin economy. Like if that doesn't show you the power of, you know, what philanthropic action can do when you don't have all the like there's this idea amongst liberals that you know philanthropy should be done through the government and doing philanthropy through the government is like attempting to uh, transfer blood from your right arm to your left arm and spilling half the blood in the process you know like these sats went directly to atlas he has them now and they're his 
Nobody got in the middle. No, there was no intermediary to tell us how much they were owed for brokering the transaction to Atlas, you know, to take administrative fees, right? I don't know if, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and seen some of these, they call them NGOs or NPOs, non-governmental organizations or nonprofit organizations. Um, their headquarters are fucking like marble and they have, you know, Evian in the, in the hallway and shit. Like, they're assholes, you know, they, they're just taking and they're distributing a little to the poorest people on earth, but they're taking for themselves and giving themselves million dollar salaries to do good in the world, right? It's a scam. And uh, I just love that we don't have to participate in something like that. We can just send money directly to somebody over the internet. It's awesome. So is Atlas still in touch? Because I saw some people, you know, piled in, oh, this is a scam. You guys are all idiots, you know. Uh, it's just like, oh my God. No, no, he's, no, no. Yeah, I talk to him all the time. I've been giving him some advice on, you know, how to become a better Bitcoiner. And uh, he's stoked, man. I mean, he's really fucking stoked. I mean, we changed his life. Like we really did, you know. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't just me because I only total sent in like 200 USD. So, you know, the majority of the money came from people that weren't me. It was a real group collective effort which is just fucking, it's just awesome that Bitcoiners are like that. See, this is what I'm saying. It's like, these are the same people that people call toxic, you know? And they're like, what a bunch of toxic assholes these guys are. They all got together and j just for no reason changed somebody's life, made somebody's day fucking great. It gave that guy the best day he's ever had in his life for no reason, for no net benefit to themselves, just because they wanted to do good in the world. If that's toxic, fucking sign me up. I'm as toxic as they come. You know, like I love it. It's just, toxic just means these people won't be bullied. They're not going to be pushed around. They're free men. They're free to do what they want to do. And what they wanted to do was charity. I was going to ask you a question around that, that kind of moniker, like toxic maximalist um, and, and your take on it. I think you've just answered it, but is there anything else that you want to, you know, add to that? No, no yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Bitcoiners have this uh, way of taking anything that is an attack and just absorbing it. So if you want to call us toxic maximalists, we'll, we'll print fucking t-shirts and hats that say toxic maximalists on them and wear them around because we will not be attacked. You cannot attack us. Like we will absorb every single attack that you lobby against us because they're off base. Like, I mean, I don't know if you were paying attention on Twitter when that when that began, like people were calling people toxic. Uh, Samson Mao was pretty involved and I think he was one of the first to start it off. I can't remember the exact etymology of how it all occurred, but you know, basically toxicity is just, hey, I think you're running a scam and uh, you're not disclosing the trade-offs that are apparent here. You're not being intellectually honest. And you're hoping to deceive others. Oh, you're toxic. How dare you say that, right? We need more toxicity in this world. We need, we need men to be, to be fucking men. You know what I mean? Like to be a man is to speak your mind, right? If you're accepting lies, then you're basically, whoever has forced you to accept those lies, you just became their bitch. They own you now. You're not a free man anymore because you didn't stand up for what you believed in, right? And like, we need to see so much more of that in this world if we're going to have um, a world that's bedrocked in truth, hard facts. Like, I mean, look at, you know, there's so much that I can harp on this about, but I just see a bunch of people that are spineless cowards and who are, you know, afraid. And 
to, to like lead, you know, lead by example, so was I. I mean, I wanted to be close to the centers of power and receive as much money as humanly possible. And I was willing to say things I didn't believe and do things I didn't believe in order to attain wealth because wealth was more important to me than the purity of my soul or whatever it was, you know. And now that I don't have to act in that manner, I realize how much I was giving up by doing that. And I am not going to give up anymore. So if Twitter wants to ban me, if they want to censor me, if people want to call me toxic or an asshole or say this or that about me, I don't give two shits because I know who I am. It's internally focused for me. And I am going to say what I think is true. Otherwise, what's the point? You're dying right now. You're dying anyway. You know, we're all dying. Like you're already almost dead. In 200 years time, nobody's going to even remember you existed. In, in 50 years time, most people, like even if you're worldwide famous right now, in a couple hundred years time, people won't even know that you were alive. So speak what's on your mind, live your truth, like be yourself, be who you were meant to be, you know? It sounds corny, but man, when you start living that way, you feel fucking great all the time. Like I, I don't feel, if people try to attack me on Twitter or something, I don't fucking care. It's like, go ahead, attack me. Because I know who I am and I know what I'm about and I know what I think is true. And if I'm saying something and you don't like it, well, that lets me know something about you. It lets me know that you don't want this truth to be said, right? And so what's your incentive for trying to hide this truth? It's, it's, it's a powerful way to get right down to facts, get right down to business, you know? Now, it's, it's, it's weird you bring up like the, um, you know, men need to be men, like the, the, the weak man syndrome. Um, Knut's von Holm, who I've had on the show a few times, he sent me a, uh, a clip of an interview, uh, no, a full interview actually, with, um, it's in the early 90s, uh, Frank Zappa talking about, um, you know, like uh, the, 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 the narrative on American uh, television. He's like, you know, if you look at the sitcom, um, you have weak men all over the place. You, you do not have, you know, the, the man is kind of the, the bumbling idiot, the doofus. And, you know, the woman is like, you know, that she, she knows everything and she's, she's running the family and she's uh, keeping everything together. And, you know, she's the, uh, she has empathy and she has love and whatever else. And, and I was thinking like, there's a pretty sweeping statement or not, but then you're like, all right. Yeah. The Simpsons, like, you know, look at Homer, look at family guy, look at, um, uh, yeah, Al Bundy from Married with Children, Roseanne, yeah, yeah, and even even yeah. now, like Modern Family, right? You know, Phil Dunphy, yep. like it's just a bumbling idiot. Yep. Why? What? Who is that serving? What is the point? It's this very interesting thing that's occurred because you you're like you're pulling on a thread that goes deep, right? Because uh, oh, we forgot Tim the Toolman Taylor. Oh, right, yeah, <laughs> bumbling. <laughs> All those, all the, you know, but though th th that's still the that's still the ethos. I mean, turn on any uh, television com commercial, and it'll be you know the husband forgot the thing at the store or whatever, whatever bullshit it is, right? So Zappa was saying, like you know, like at the first of Jan, like um, so he was back in like the Reagan days, I think. He was saying, you know, they're at a meeting, they're deciding on the narrative for like uh, mainstream media and television for the rest of that year. It, it doesn't happen that. Cl that cleanly and that clearly, 
right? Like the real world isn't like that. But there are downstream effects that, you know, cause this, right? Like the, the, it's very, it's very complicated because this goes into like the dual income trap and uh, women in the workforce and all sorts of, all sorts of narrative quagmire <laughs> you could step on. But, you know, I think, I think in general, like, and I've been in, you know, I, I have worked in television, right? So like I, I've been in the room with a lot of these kind of guys who make these kind of decisions and you just, you just go, I don't know, seems good. Uh, this is what this is what people want. Yeah, give it to them, right? Like people are idiots. Give it to them. I, you know, I don't have any experience with like sitcom. We call those three camera sitcoms. I don't have any experience in that world, but I do have experience in the reality TV world, and I know that it's uh, very easy to craft a narrative to get people to lie on camera, to get people to debase themselves. It's it's shocking. You'd be shocked how easy it is. I if if I was conducting a reality TV interview right now, I could get somebody to say almost anything I wanted them to say. I could get them to say that they thought their mother was a worthless whore, you know? Like I could get somebody to say anything because people are that desperate to be famous. So, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. You stick a camera in somebody's face and the whole game changes. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you do have to think about why has there been a consistent, um, it's not just the, the male, right? It's the whole family structure is yeah, under attack. Completely. Right. I mean, that was the overarching yeah, theme of the, the whole entire yeah. like, you know, the attacking the familial unit and, and it's music and it's television yeah. and it's everything. And I think much more than, uh, I, I think also this bleeds into postmodernism because postmodernism doesn't really believe in the individual. They believe in the collective only. So in, you know, Derrida's idea, there is no individual because you are, a white male, I am a white male, and we are the, you know, we're the foot soldiers of the white male power structure, right? And so you're not Daniel, the individual, you're just a white male, right? And that's how they see everybody in this march towards collectivism. And, uh, you know, I'm just fundamentally opposed to that, fundamentally, because, I, you know, I don't think we should be treating anybody any sort of way based on their race, their religion, their sex or their creed we should just let people be people and see what rises up and this goes down and this goes into a conversation you can have about um, top-down architecture versus bottom-up architecture uh, which one leads to innovation which one leads to problems and I, I think like socialist uh, economies top-down architected economies have the big problem of unknown unknowns they also have the big problem of they can never get appropriate aggregate data on things like prices, right? So it's just, it's nearly impossible to top down architect anything of value. Uh, everything good is going to come bottom up, but this angers the people who seek to control the world because when you go bottom up with stuff, there's going to be a lot of things you don't agree with that are going to bubble up, right? I don't agree with uh, the real BlockFi like we were talking about earlier. I don't like that company and I hope to see them fail. But I don't, I don't want to crush their right to exist. If there are enough people out there who use that service, that service and uh, evaluate that service to be a worthy risk for them, then I think they have every right to be in exchange with one another. I just don't want to be part of that exchange, right? But the people who seek to control everything don't even want it to exist in the first place. That's the real problem. Uh, 
And you just can't, you can't run things that way. Although I run into a lot of people who are smart, sophisticated, elite type people in San Francisco who think they can do that. And this is like an overwhelming hubris where they're going to keep doing it over and over again until they finally realize that it's impossible. And then they'll do it again and again and again. Because there's this idea that, especially when you're a liberal person, you kind of have this feeling where you think you're just that much fucking better than other people. And that's why you have what you have. Because you, you know, you're smart. Of course, you would live in the multi-million dollar house. Of course, you would have the good job at Google. Of course, you would do this and that. But these dumbs over here, <laughs> you know, they're never going to be able to be as good as a person like you. And it's like, why don't, from a conservative vantage point, I'm like, why don't you give them a chance? They might surprise you, you know? Don't, don't put a lid on their human capital. But that's what top-down architects are always seeking to do. And yeah, it's, it's just a big uh, fight between the individuals and the collectives, I think. And to bring this back to, to Bitcoin, if you've got <clears throat> the two types of personalities that you just uh, described at each other's necks over a certain, I don't know, like the latest policy, the whatever, but then they figured out, hang on a minute, you're stacking sets? Hang on a minute, you, you're a Bitcoiner? Do you find like, you know, Bam, just brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know. You, you know, there's there's an interesting thing happening still at the moment where there are, I run into people that hold Bitcoin who don't understand it still. And I think that that is going to go away because when those people see a price of, let's say, 100,000 bucks a Bitcoin or something, right? They're probably going to sell because their unit of account is still dollars. And so they're going to sell $4. I mean, if you have if you have 100 Bitcoin and the price is 100K, that's $10 million. That's a lot of dollars, right? And if your unit of account is dollars, well, you might as well take it and buy yourself a nice house or whatever you want to buy, right? I like, I'm thinking of a specific individual I know who works at Facebook who has a bunch of Bitcoin. And every time I've ever had a conversation with him, he just seems to be oblivious to why Bitcoin is, is good. Um, I, I often find this with people who come from a tech background too, that they don't fully understand Bitcoin. They just understand, you know, I bought it, it's worth some money. Uh, maybe I like Ethereum, whatever, right? But uh, I think long-term you're right in that when you find alignment with your fellow sat stackers, like we've never had a conversation before this conversation, but it's very easy to have a conversation because we have the same we have the same belief, we have the same, we share the same narrative uh, and view on the world, which used to be a common in your, let's say, geographic location, right? Like if you lived in the UK um, in the 19, you know, 40s when the war was going on, you had a pretty clear worldview and belief along with all of your fellow citizens, right? Which is that we are here, uh, the Germans are bombing us, this sucks. We need to kill the Germans. <laughs> like that's pretty. That's pretty simple, you know. And uh, things have gotten much more complicated than that. When you look at America, you look at the UK, you look at all of Europe. Like people are now dividing themselves, like we were talking about, along different lines. They're dividing along racial lines, along gender lines, along all sorts of weird shit that I don't even want to go into, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I do think there is something great about the Bitcoin worldview because I don't really consider it a worldview. I consider it a shared truth or a shared recognition. 
it's not like me and you uh, got in, a, you know, like we've probably read some of the same stuff and we've seen some of the same things and listened to some of the same people, but that's not what we're aligned on. We're aligned on the way we think the world should work. We're aligned on what we think is base level truth. And that's a very powerful alignment to make. So yeah, I do think that once people start stacking, uh, it's, it is going to change the way they think. It's going to align them more with what is underlying reality. And they're going to, you know, fuck shit up. <laughs> it's like, you can't, I mean, you, you can't like go to work for the US government or some of these large corporations um, and truly believe in what you're doing. Because when you walk through a large corporation currently, like, uh, you know, I've, I've been in Google and in Facebook and in YouTube as well. Uh, and, you know, they don't, the people that work there don't believe in the ethos or the mission of the corporation. They just, it's sort of like a shibboleth that they say. Like, they, they know the words that they're supposed to recite and what they're supposed to do uh, in order to get along and go along and make their bonus and, you know, get their get their quarterly review right and yada, 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 right? So it's like, but I think once you've swallowed that red pill, you're not just going to be able to go along to get along. Uh, you know, like I know myself, if I was inside of a government institution or a large corporation, no, like feeling the way I currently feel, I would just be working to undermine it at every turn, <laughs> right? Like that's what I would be doing. I would be looking, or I would be looking for the escape hatch, uh, one of the two. Yeah, and you know, it's um, for the Facebook and Google thing. That's it's a name on your CV, right? Wind back ten years ago, everybody wanted Goldman Sachs or you know J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley on their CV, and that's exactly yeah. what's happening now in the tech world because that's how you think you build your career and you get the next opportunity, and you know you, you can leverage yourself up in this fiat system. Yeah, I saw there was a there was a tweet, and it said something like. Uh, what an overachiever was 10 years ago. And it was like, I went to Harvard and then I uh, worked at Goldman Sachs, right? Left Goldman Sachs by the time I was 25. That was what an overachiever was. And now what an overachiever was is I didn't go to college. I have a YouTube where I make millions of dollars. Oh, and I'm 17 years old, right? Like that's the new world order we live in because anybody with an internet connection has a path to unlimited prosperity. And if you are a millennial and younger, like for my kids and your kids, the, you know, the way they're going to make their nut in this life is going to be by creating or acquiring digital value. That is how they will uh, prosper, right? And you could do that by having a, you know, I watch these kids with these YouTube shows and it's like, I'm, there's kids that just open toys. There's girls that just do makeup. It's like, right? And these kids are making like huge ad revenue dollars. You know, it's crazy. And we have a certain amount of percentage of the world that's not even online yet, right? Yeah. That would totally. love to watch this stuff and just be blown away by, you know, just it's, it's mind boggling. I want to go back to something you said about there's people holding Bitcoin, stacking sats that don't even know what Bitcoin is. And I would love to know the percentage of those people that just sailed through the halving without having any clue that that was even happening. Oh yeah, a bunch. <laughs> I mean, a bu like uh, Matt Odell was- 15%, 20%, like, you know. Matt, o Matt Odell tells a story where he ran into somebody who didn't know what the block size war was. 
and so just to to hold Bitcoin but not know what the block size war is to a person like me is flabbergasting, right? But you know, not everybody is like us. I mean, some people buy and if I had to put a percentage on it, let's say <laughs> I'm gonna say fifty percent. I think it's fifty percent. You know, I think I think we're in a Bitcoin Twitter bubble a little bit where we're we're so we're so excited by the evolutionary aspects of what's happening here, and we don't want to miss a moment because we know that this is history unfolding. But definitely not everybody feels that way, right? Some people just just want to make a buck. And uh, or they want to hold it as a, long, a hedge, you know. You know, I don't blame people. I, it took me a long time after we talked about this pre-record, like you know, buying, and then it's just purely for speculative reasons and um, not falling into the rabbit hole, not doing any of the work. Of, like, you know, what is it really? What does it mean? Um, it's yeah. wild. It's it definitely it's takes hard. Yeah, it's hard, man. People and say you know, stay you know, humble, you know, right? Like, you know, yeah. how could you not like how could you not be humbled every day by the amount of shit you actually don't know about Bitcoin? And uh think think about it like this. Like I've been here uh five years now, and I five and a half years, yeah, five and a half years. And um uh, I think maybe I know like three percent, four percent of what of what there is to know about Bitcoin. I basically know I basically know nothing, you know, and uh, I'm a person who you know I test high on IQ scores, and I do pretty you know I'm a pretty smart person who who gets what they want out of life. I don't fucking know what's going on here. I run into a lot of other smart people who don't know what's going on here. We just know something major is happening here, and it's evolving at this rapid pace. And uh, I think to a certain type of person, that's very appealing you know, because it's very intellectually stimulating every single day. Like I can't, I don't know if you feel the same way as me, but I find it really hard to have conversations about uh, just random, you know, political bullshit or current affairs. I, I'm not interested at all. I, you know, I'm, I, if it doesn't come back to how Bitcoin is going to solve this, like I don't want it. I don't even want to entertain the conversation, you know? Uh, yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> Okay, so you've been on Bitcoin Twitter in the space for five years. How many how many bands? Uh, let's see. Well, I only got on Twitter in 2016. Uh-huh. And in that time, I've been banned, I think, nine times. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Cr- like, <laughs> uh, favorite band? Yeah. They're, they're, all- all for, they're all for the same stuff because I just refuse to stop being myself, you know? I mean, I get a lot of bands for saying the word retard a lot, right? right? And yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's a banned word. That's as bad as saying the N-word nowadays. <laughs> retard. Can't say retard. Even though it's a dictionary word that means slow, you can't say it. Exactly. So it's, yeah. I also, it, it's this weird goalpost shifting. This is a thing that liberals love, love to do. They love to um, police language. It's one of their main things. It's it's one of these nudging things, right? If I can get you to stop saying a word, I can change the way you think. I can insert new thoughts in your head, and uh, it's like, is would it be better if I use the, you know, modern medical nomenclature for mental retardation? If I if I said, you know, you're severely developmentally delayed, 
That would that would be almost meaner, in my opinion, because that is what we would say about a person who is actually mentally retarded. We don't call them mentally retarded anymore, right? But it's like, no, you're you're mentally retarded because you bought Bcash. That's that's a retarded thing to do, you know. Uh, so I just, yeah, I basically just refuse to stop saying that word in particular. Mainly just, be, you know, I'll give you an, I'll give you a very specific example of why I won't stop saying that word because people might hear this and be like, oh, you're so insensitive. And yes, I am insensitive. But I have a logic behind my insensitivity, which is mental retardation is a, um, you know, it's it's a mental defect that is nobody's fault if it ha- if it occurs, right? It's not like you can do anything to gain mental retardation. Um, so obviously, that is not a class of people that you want to be attacking the the actual people who have the disease, right? But w- for some reason, societally, we have no problem calling the mentally ill crazy uh, and using crazy as every, in everyday parlance, right? And so as somebody with, you know, people will say to me, they'll be like, I have retarded family members, you know, so how could you, how dare you say that word? And I'm like, well, I have mentally ill family members. So how dare you say that word, Right. Maybe if you stop saying the word you're saying, I'll stop saying the word I'm saying, or we could both just keep saying whatever we want and knowing that I am not trying to necessarily offend you because I'm not aiming this at your family member who is suffering from developmental delay. I'm aiming this at somebody online and they're saying, well, that you know that affects us too. But it's like, well, okay. But it affects somebody who's mentally ill to be called crazy. Life is messy and complicated. I'm not going to stop, you know, using a dictionary definition because it doesn't please you. I'm just not. I never will. I'll be using that word as as long as I want to. I'll use it on television, national television if I feel like it. I don't care. <laughs> like I I know I know that when I sometimes when I do this thing people are like what a weird place to take a stand. Why would you take a stand there? And it's like, well, this is one of my stands because I'm not going to be policed on my language, okay? People, people out there are probably thinking, God, I would love to guy, you know, that guy's a complete, but I can't say the word. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. How do you think this rubs with Jack? Like, you know, he's clearly down the rabbit hole, clearly a Bitcoiner. Oh, Twitter yeah. is the he place. He doesn't have any, you know, I mean, if you've spent any time in the Silicon Valley, you'll, you'll realize how deep, how far left everyone is, right? So, I mean, everybody that's inside Jack's organization is as far left as they can possibly be because that is every single person in the Valley. There are no... If you walked if you walked into Twitter wearing a Make America Great Again hat, you know, one of the Trump hats, you would be fired fucking immediately, right? There, there, there is no... Um, it's not a safe ideological environment. You do have to go along with what the far left thinks because the far left have pervaded these institutions. So while I don't think somebody like Jack is far left, I think somebody like Jack is probably libertarian like we all are. Um, He has a lot of those people working for his organization. And so, you know, as the CEO of a, however, whatever their market cap is, multi-billion dollar corporation, He's not going to know if I'm on there saying the word retard or not. But if somebody wants to institute a policy where people can't say the word retard, you know, I think he kind of lets it slide. I'm sure, I mean, I'm assuming it's just some kind of algorithm that's like you know, flagging this kind of stuff and, and picking up. But like, you know. Yeah, it is. 
When do you expect to be banned again? Uh, next time I say the word retard. <laughs> <laughs> or have an unpopular thought or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I mean, saying we should murder politicians, uh, <laughs> you know, historically. Yeah. I mean, histor- historically, if you want to follow my logic here, you know, that's a that's a way to create political change. I mean, think about it. It's time tested. So it's yeah, like- yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some some writings out there that uh, you know have documented such events. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy the bands because they they sort of just uh, I don't know. I I love just finding that that weakness where I'm like I could like honestly I've been banned so many times I should probably put together a list of words. Uh, and things you can say and do that will get you banned so people know what to avoid. But I don't want to do that because I want people to go hardcore and then get banned anyway, you know? That'd be a nice seed phrase. I, I, I think at some, at some point we're going to have to um, move the conversation from Twitter, you know? Because it's just, like, even somebody like Pierre Rochard, who I've never seen uh, step over the line in any way or be bombastic in any way or even use swear words, I don't think I've ever seen him swear, is shadow banned. Right, so why is Pierre shadow banned? It doesn't make any sense. It's because somebody at Twitter doesn't like the things he's saying. That's why. Hang on a minute. Is there a difference between an outright ban and a shadow ban? Yeah, shadow ban just means like you're not going to show up in anybody's uh, feed that's not following you. Uh, you're not going to be able to be searched. You're going to have your tweets downranked. Um, shadow ban is an algorithmic thing where they don't outright ban you, but they do ban you. Uh, that's un- why I can't see his tweets. Yeah, because they can't I justify. He, I thought yeah, he blocked me just- for some weird reason. No, they can't. They can't justify banning somebody like Pierre because Pierre is like a nice guy who just wants to talk about monetary economics, right? But they banned him because they don't like the quality of his thought, right? They shadow banned him. They gave him a soft ban. It's like being, there's a Black Mirror episode where the woman gets. Uh, she gets blocked by everybody for having too low of a social score. That's that's what shadow banning is, you know. But it's it's pervasive, and it usually only happens to conservatives or people who hold conservative thoughts or ideologies, which libertarian ble- bleeds conservative. You know, there's more uh, more crossover on the Venn diagram between the conservatives and the libertarians than there is between the modern day liberal and libertarians. So that's why Pierre is shadow banned. Damn. All right. Yeah. Well, we should probably think about wrapping this up. It's been uh, it's been great to connect. Um, I, I think many of the listeners that that follow you on Twitter and see this like you know angry guy out there like you know shaking the cage, rattling the cage, getting banned, whatever else, I can enjoy the conversation and um, you know get to know uh, a little bit more about you and um, yeah. like your story. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing that. Um, just, just know I'm always, I'm always smiling behind the keyboard. It's all, it's most of it is a joke. I'm amusing myself. Well, you know, and this, well, Joe Rogan talked about this, right? You know, how can you be a comedian? I mean, if you, 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 some people might class you as a bit of a comedian on on Twitter. I certainly do. You make me laugh like, you know, it's so much that you say. I, I, I feel I probably shouldn't be part of this thread, but I'm going to sit here and laugh my tits off. But, um, you know, <laughs> but you know, if you can't say, if you can't challenge the order in, you know, in an amusing way, 
then, you know, where does that leave you? Um, but yeah, I want to ask you the question. I, if my voice holds out, um, I ask at the end of, of every show. And that is if you could implant your knowledge about Bitcoin, about how it's changed you, about how you know it could fundamentally change everybody, the world for better humanity as a whole, if you could implant that knowledge into one person who would then go and share that with their whole audience, an audience far wider than you could ever imagine reaching, who would that person be and why? Mm. Does it have to be a person who has a large audience or can it be a person who has uh, their le- their you know finger on the lever of power? It's completely up to you, man. Okay, well then it's Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. <laughs> That's number number one. And uh, if he had my knowledge, he would be buying heavily at these price levels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would. Bitcoin, Bitcoin largely needs more capital. It doesn't need more people, which is weird to say, but it's true. You know? Can you explain that one to me uh, and to the listener? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because of the wealth disparity, uh, most people don't have any fucking money. <laughs> so... It's not going to increase the price. If the price doesn't increase, like, I mean, your average person, you shilling your friends is not going to increase the price, right? Unless your friend, ha- unless your friend happens to be rich um, and you shill a bunch of them. It's, so what I'm saying is in order to have a world where Bitcoin does the things we want it to do, uh, Bitcoin does have to overtake a significant portion of the global monetary base. So it's going to have to ta- overtake gold, uh, it's going to have to overtake M1, M2, etc. In order to be stable enough to transact and able to be uh, liquid enough, pervasive enough, etc. So it really is about getting capital into Bitcoin. And Jerome Powell, Fed chairman, has the ability to print endless capital and just pump it straight straight into Bitcoin. So if I could infect his mind with all the stuff that I know... That would be great because he would immediately turn around the next day and just start buying a shitload of Bitcoin. He'd create some justification for it, and then the price would pump to infinity, and we'd live in a hyper Bitcoinized world where everything was better. You know, so he could push the printer, the printer go brrr, to use the other uh, meme, and then use all of that to buy Bitcoin for himself, and then push that out as UBI as universal Bitcoin income, but really universal, <laughs> not just the states, right? Can you guys please, it's like that your World Series bullshit. Like, you know, it's not a World Series if it's played in America, right? You know, it's not universal right. Bitcoin income if it's just in America. So this is why. <laughs> so yeah, Jerome Powell, there you go. Print as much fiat would, as yeah. you can, change it into Bitcoin and disperse that around the universe as UBI. I do, th- I I do think that it is uh, inevitable too that the Fed will buy Bitcoin because they'll they'll have to buy Bitcoin in order to prevent a speculative attack, right? So it's like at some point it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five years, uh, but in the next, but in the next ten years, in the next, yeah, sometime in the next decade, the Fed will take a large position in Bitcoin. We won't know about it for a while because they don't have to give up their minutes for four years and they just they just changed it where they don't have to tell the American people what they've been up to ever if they don't want to. So it's now a totally it's it's now a totally closed door process. Anytime the Fed deems it an emergency or whatever, you know, which is just all, every time they want to hide something. 
It's fucking ridiculous. It, it's so crazy the world we live in. I, I just like every time I think about it, I get upset. And I think regular people don't think about it because what could you do about it? What are you going to, why are you going to get yourself all angry and then not have anything to do about it? Every time I get angry, I can stack sats. You know, that's what I do. That's, that's my therapy. I, I, I execute I'm stack right now. Fiat, yeah, you know? up. Like, this is. I would I would do it if I wasn't talking to you on this phone. <laughs> like enough, like enough. If, and I urge any of the listeners <clears throat> to do the same, voice or no voice, stack some sets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin doesn't need people; it needs capital. And there are very few people who pull the levers on most of the world's capital. So we need to infect those people. Where, where can people? I mean, it's obvious. Come find you on Twitter if if you're still there. Um, where where should people come find you and uh, interact with you and uh, you know hang out online yeah. with you? Um, just on Twitter, just on Twitter, you know. And what's the handle right now? I know you have to finagle them every uh, now and then. It's it's Hoddle underscore American. So I had to go rev- backwards on this time, and my uh, my. Avatar is wartime hodl at the moment because I feel like we're in a war with fiat. Like I think that we got past all the shit coins and uh, the ICO mania of 2017, and you know they were a worthy adversary or a worthy foil, as uh, Bitstein likes to say. But they're no longer a worthy foil for Bitcoin. Now the world's governments are the next target. It's the gold market and the world's governments. Like we're coming for you. It's a war, you know. It's fucking. It's, it's the it's the best, man. <laughs> I can't like. This is the only thing I, I just wake up and I'm excited about this every day. Like before I hopped on this podcast, I was uh, like just trudging through the day. You know, my kids were being so crazy and bad all morning, and I didn't I didn't get any fucking sleep last night, and I haven't had any caffeine or anything. Right, the minute I started talking about Bitcoin, I'm like, mm, let's go. Like let's talk. Like now I'm jazzed up. You know, for the rest of the day. <laughs> Well, go release yourself on Twitter and let's see what happens. I know, right? Yeah. Um, is there any final thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off? Mm, let me think. Just uh, do your, do yourself a favor and don't take your foot off the gas. I think the biggest mistake I made during the prior bear market was I got to some number that I thought was the appropriate amount of Bitcoin and then I took my foot off the gas. And in retrospect, you look back at when I did that, the price was $600 when I did that. So, I mean, think about it. Think about all the missed uh, buys I could have made between 600 and 8800 whatever we were at today, right? Like, that was a lot of great buys I missed out on because I thought I should stop stacking, basically. And if I look at the things I bought instead of sats, uh, they're just junk. And I don't have them anymore, a lot of them, right? So it's like, why buy some plastic crap when you could buy more sats? Like, be kind to your future self and buy more fucking sats. Like, whatever you're about to do today or you're going to buy or you were just looking at on Amazon, you don't need that shit. Like, you 100% don't need it and you know that, okay? So buy sats instead. You're going to get the the $300 headphones? Get the $50 headphones that were made in China and buy $250 worth of sats, right? 
You're going to buy yourself a new car, buy yourself a used car and get sats. You're going to go out to dinner, make your fucking dinner at home and get sats. That's my message to you. Like I didn't ride around a fucking moped so I could be poor for the rest of my life. I rode around a moped so that I could ball later and have a fucking Lamborghini if I feel like it, which I don't because I'd rather have sats. So get some fucking sats. That's, there you go. Love it. That's my message. And (laughs) how much, how much would you pay for that moped if you found it? (laughs) If somebody, if somebody, get, if somebody like tweets you and says, "I have the telltale," what's your opening bid? Did it have well, a name? Was, Did I, it have a name? I, I saw the people. I saw the people. I sold it to, and they definitely, they definitely disassembled it for parts. I mean, that's a hundred percent. We, I mean, we don't have gypsies here in America, but these were gypsies. They were carny folk, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> So, so it's fucking gone. Um, somebody told me that's racist that you can't say gypsy. You can't call somebody a gypsy anymore. Really? That, have you heard that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know the world had gone there. Yeah, can't call them gypsies. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's leave it there, and um, I'll see you or not see you on Twitter very, very shortly. All right, brother. Hey, good talking to you. You too. Thanks. Hey guys, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, I hope my voice wasn't too croaky in it. Uh, but, you know, I was not going to pass up uh, this opportunity to sit down with uh, American Hoddle. It had already been postponed once because of his latest banning. Uh, we were supposed to record uh, a week before this, but uh, he just disappeared off Twitter. And um, it suddenly became evident that he'd been kicked off again, which is uh, obviously something we spoke about during the interview. You know, my takeaways from this are, you know, what, what he's doing, I think, is uh, is awesome. He's uh, he's a great voice in the space. I think it's um, it's great to have, like, his his humor and his comedy. Um, you know, he said it himself. Every every time he's writing a tweet, he's he's kind of like laughing behind the keyboard, just chuckling to himself. Uh, he doesn't know what's going to come back at him. Um, <laughs> And you know he's he's a family guy. He's a dad. He's got two kids. He's he's raising a family. Um, but at the same time, he's like he's he's challenging people's fixed mindsets. He's challenging the systems. He's challenging you know everything that's going on. And he's not going to be shouted down. He's going to keep coming back and and rising from the ashes. And I think that's that's uh, you know we got to have people like that. You know this community. You know every great team is made up. If we were all the same. That you know you wouldn't have a team, right? That's that's like never ever going to happen. It's never going to grow. We're never going to be um, you know pushing forward. So we've got to have different factions doing different things, pulling different strings. You know, getting into different arguments. Um, you know, waking up more people. Uh, you know, the more people we can wake up, the better. Um, doesn't mean you have to like what he says or follow him. You know, whatever. You know, it's uh, if it's not your bag, it's not your bag. Um, I think though, you know, seeing the human side of him, hearing the human side of him, um, is really awesome. And, uh, you know, Lauren and I chatted with him uh, a little bit pre-recording and, um, myself and American Hoddle post-recording as well. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, I just look forward to running into him in, uh, in the meat space, you know, at, uh, at some conference, wherever it might be or, you know, whatever, once we're all out of these strange imprisoned times that we find ourselves 
So, um, yeah, massive thanks to uh, American Hoddle. Go and, uh, you know, retweet the episode. I don't know, grab a clip of what he said and retweet it or something. You know, something that might wake people up to think, like, actually, you're like, you know, there's, there's, there's more to this character. Because um, he is playing a character, I suppose, on Twitter, you know, um, like, uh, like a comedian does. Uh, you know, people get up on stage, uh, on stage, excuse me, Bill Burr or Joe Rogan, when they hit the stage, they're, they're in character. Yes, they're, they're, they're probably close to their true self, but they're still in character. And, um, you know, this is what, uh, like the kind of the role that I see American Hoddle playing at the moment. And um, I think it's brilliant. Uh, really enjoyed meeting him. Hope you guys uh, get bigger and deeper kind of understanding of where he's coming from as well. Um Last shill for um, the the two companies that uh, I think are doing great work in in the space and who have shown interest in uh, supporting me with an affiliate link um, is uh, Coinfloor out of the UK. You know, start your dollar cost averaging or pound cost, sterling cost averaging, whatever you want to call it. Head over to um, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Um, catch Obi's interview you know, just scroll down. It's like one or two interviews behind this. Go and listen to Obi's ethos and his, um, you know, like his his thoughts um, about Bitcoin and, and what Bitcoin should be and how they're trying to educate people and onboard newcomers in, you know, like a, a very low risk tolerance situation. And also Swan Bitcoin out of the US are doing very much the same. Like exactly the same, and I've interviewed both um, co-founders. That's uh, Corey Clipston. You can find his interview with uh, with me on the podcast um, by heading over to uh, to you know the the link. I'll, I'll supply in the show notes, and also um, Jan Pritzker, uh, who has an amazing story of escaping the Chernobyl nuclear fallout. You know, as a young man, like he was seven or eight years old. And uh, realizing, understanding firsthand that escaping these places and then escaping Russia and having pretty much all of your family's wealth stolen from you, essentially, at the point of crossing the border when the exchange rate ruble to US dollar, it was just, you know, they were being completely and totally bent over the table on. Um, you can see this is coming from a very deep place when when people have been through that, a part of uh, co-founding a company, which is purely Bitcoin and uh, purely uh, dollar cost averaging. So head over to uh, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten to start your US dollar DCA journey. And uh, as always, guys, thank you so much for, for listening and for supporting the show. I really appreciate you reaching out on Twitter all of the uh, the retweets that are getting um, chilled out there and the, the, the DMs and the, the likes and the comments. It's really great. I really appreciate it. And I'm just glad I can add some, some kind of value to this community. So keep reaching out. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>